night fans do we have? Saturday Night Live. Yes. Did you watch last night? No. New show. Never stay up that late? <laughs> well, there was a new show, a new cast, a couple new cast members last night. So, yeah, well, got you all intrigued. Well, I'm a Saturday Night Live fan, and, uh, you know, I go back, unfortunately, to uh, experiences like... Uh, the Basomatic. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, everybody knows the Basomatic, right? Sure. Well, we're going to do this Sunday, next Sunday, and kind of periodically when we've got one of those Sundays that's kind of between longer message series. We're just going to have Saturday Night Live Sundays. And uh, I think uh, shows like Saturday Night Live are, uh, are great commentaries on our culture. You know, we laugh, we make, you know, they're humorous. Uh, but they can also show us something. They, they can also reflect to us um, attitudes and understandings of what's floating around out there in our world. And the more we can understand what's floating around out there in the world, the greater we can have contrast of understanding about what the real truth is and, and what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about the real truth. So we know that we as God's people can, can stay solid and stand firm uh, in that truth and not be kind of gobbled up by just this general cultural kinds of awareness <clears throat> of what's important. So today we're going to start out with uh, Saturday Night Live and uh, kind of the title is uh, Looking Good. And the reason it's uh, Looking Good is, uh, well, you'll see it when you, uh, when you watch the clip from Saturday Night Live. And the Bassomatic is one of the commercials they did early on. And it's not the Bassomatic clip. I love that one. But, um, <clears throat> but they do these things called commercials on Saturday Night Live, right? Uh, and so uh, here is one of the commercials from Saturday Night Live. Take it in. first months of a child's life for a special time. As your baby acquires the skills of social interaction, impressions are made that will last a lifetime. Unfortunately, this baby and millions of other male babies just like him spend months suffering through the shame and disgrace associated with male infantile baldness. It's a scientific fact that males lag developmentally behind females. Add male infantile baldness, and that means low self-esteem, decreased confidence, and even lowered social status. Is that what you want for your child? That's why our scientists at Nelson Pediatrics developed these baby toupees. Thanks to our patented technology and the cooperation of the Chinese government, we can now take an adult-sized toupee and adapt it to fit your baby's head. It's fake hair with real results. Look at this child, bursting with self-esteem, oozing with confidence. Now look at him two weeks ago. He's like a brand new person. And the best part is, you can't even tell it's fake. And look at Mr. Popular. Now he's king of the play date. He looks good, and he knows it. Isn't that what every parent wants? I should know. I'm not only the president of Nelson's Baby Toupees, I'm also the father of a client. Nelson's Baby Toupees, from the good people who brought you baby beers. You gave him life. Now give him confidence. What do you think? You gave him life. Now give him confidence. Huh? <clears throat> hey, here's the question for the day. You know, as the world looks at that and we laugh and we giggle and all that stuff, but it really is a reflection, too, of how the world understands where our self-esteem comes from, isn't it? 
<clears throat> at least it's, it's a statement about <clears throat> how the world understands what makes us you know, self-confident. You know, the answer for the commercial is, what, you want to be self-confident? Give your kids that self-confidence from the beginning. Give them one of those baby uh, toupees, right? And their whole problem is that they just need hair as a, as a child. And then they'd just be wonderful. They'd have self-confidence and they'd, you know... We look at the world, and that's kind of a reflection that says so much of the world understands that self-confidence comes from something outside of us as opposed to something inside of us. What I want to do today is uh, talk to you about your own life and what the Scripture has to say about where our self-confidence comes from. You ready? What you need to uh, know is that uh, the world has a phrase out there, and I bet as soon as they say it, you're all going to kind of go, yeah, sure, okay, I got that, because the world's convinced you of, of, uh, of this truth. But so often we tell our young people, and it, you know, it always floats around in political campaigns. You heard it a lot in the political campaign season here about, you know, what's great about this country is that in this country, if you put your mind to it, you can become anything you want to become. Heard that before? Tell our kids, you know, if you just work hard enough, if you just work hard enough and put enough energy into it, you can become anything that you want to become. It's not true. It's not true. You see, I could have started out as a young person and said, you know, I just, I want to become the center for the Milwaukee Bucks. But at five foot nine, there is no way I'm going to be the center for the Milwaukee Bucks. Right? No way. Or I could say, you know, it's been my dream. It's what I want to do. What I want to do is I want to become the linebacker for the Chicago Bears. Go in that history of Dick Buckus. You know, you probably don't know him, but he was good. Um, to go in that tradition of Dick Buckus and Mike Singletary. Be that linebacker that goes down. And... With this body, not going to happen. You see, the reality is, it's not about what I want for my life. The real measure of success, the real measure of being able to make a difference in this world, to have a real impact in this world, is not about my deciding what I want for my life. What the Bible would tend to bring us to is the awareness and understanding is that you can be everything and anything that God wants you to be. You can be everything and anything that God wants you to be. See, the excitement of understanding what you're worth, what your value, and, and what you can do with your life is not in spending some time thinking about what you want, but the excitement of discovering who has God created you to become. Let me give you an example. We can go to uh, Jeremiah, the prophet. God comes to uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, and he says, Jeremiah, I am your creator. Okay, stop there. Who made Jeremiah? God did, right? God formed, fashioned, and made Jeremiah. He molded Jeremiah. He made Jeremiah into everything that Jeremiah is and ever will be. God, the creator. And he says, before you were born, I chose you 
So God formed him, God fashioned him, God chose him before he even was born. God created him for what Jeremiah could become. And the answer is, to speak for me to the nations. That's what Jeremiah could do. Jeremiah could have said, no, 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 you don't understand, God. I want to be the middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears. Especially today. Ooh. Good luck, by the way. Um, I'll need it. But anyway, he could have said that, right? He could have said, no, 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 God, no, 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 no. I want to be. And God comes back to him and say, no, Jeremiah, you don't understand. I created you, I formed you, I fashioned you, I made you, I chose you, and this is what I chose you to do. This is the everything that you can become. You can become that person that speaks for me to the nations. Not a bad gig. Probably more than Jeremiah ever imagined he would have the ability to do in his life. In fact, we get a glimmer of that because of Jeremiah's response. Jeremiah's response in verse 6 says, I'm not a good speaker, Lord, and oh, by the way, I'm too young. Jeremiah looks at himself and says, I just don't have the confidence for this. I don't have the ability for this. God, you don't understand. I just don't see myself with the self-esteem to be able to accomplish such a goal as speaking for you to the nations. And so Jeremiah looks at himself and comes measures in with a low self-esteem that says, you know, I, I just don't have it. I'm too young. I don't speak well. The I don'ts. I can't. God, in turn, comes back to Jeremiah with somewhat of a stern-sounding parental voice and says, don't say you're too young. Young people, if you're in the room today, listen to what God just told you. God created you, formed and fashioned you, and chose you to do incredible things for the kingdom of heaven. Never underestimate when you can start doing it. Never underestimate. You're never too young to begin doing what God wants you to do. Jeremiah hears God saying with a stern voice, Don't say you're too young. You parents out there, can't you just hear that parental tone? You've used it before, right? Don't say you're too young. If I tell you to go and speak to someone, then go. And when I tell you what to say, don't leave out a word. I promise to be with you and keep you safe. So don't be afraid. What is God giving Jeremiah? He's giving him all the self-confidence that he needs. He's saying, Jeremiah, you don't get it. You have to understand. I formed you, fashioned you, and created you. I know what you can do. I understand how incredible you can be. Don't underestimate yourself, Jeremiah. Don't underestimate what you can accomplish when you're doing what I've designed you to do. He goes on. The Lord reached out His hand, then He touched my mouth and said, I'm giving you the words to say, and I'm sending you with the authority to speak to the nations for me. 
You will tell them of doom and destruction and of rising and rebuilding again. He gives Jeremiah everything that he needs to accomplish this task. When it comes to self-esteem, when it comes to raising the understanding of what we can do in our lives, it doesn't come because we have or don't have hair. By the way, in the clip, did you notice the uh, scientist behind him? Do you notice that? Mm-hmm. Bald, by the way, if you missed it. Yeah. You see, it's not about what we do or what we don't have in our view. It's the self-confidence that comes from understanding that God is the one who created us. And God is the one who recreated us in Jesus Christ. And that's all we need. It is the excitement then of discovering what we can do because it's what God wants us to do. Second thing, when God looks at you, you need to know that God looks at you and makes that decision about what you can do and forms and fashions you to do. He looks at you not based on what's on the outside. He looks and makes His decisions and purposes based on what's on your inside. See, what the clip reminded us of is that out there in culture, we make so many judgments and so many decisions about people based on their outside, don't we? We make so many judgments and so many decisions about people based on what their outward appearance is or simply their, their apparent actions seem to be. What the Scripture said is that God doesn't pay attention to your outside. He knows your inside. Let me give you some examples. You can go to uh, King Saul, who was a king chosen uh, by God to uh, lead Israel for a time. And here's the description of Saul coming out of uh, 1 Samuel 9. It says, Kish was a wealthy man who belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. His father was Abiel. His grandfather was Zeor. His great-grandfather was Bekorath. And his great-great-grandfather was Aphia. Kish had a son named Saul who was better looking and more than a head taller than anyone else in all of Israel. Now, what do we learn about Saul? Tall guy. Wealthy family. Good stock. You got father, grandfather, great-grandfather, great, right? Tall kid, good looking, wealthy family, good stock, Right? Then we can go into the New Testament and have Jesus have an experience with somebody else. Jesus was going through Jericho. There was a man named Zacchaeus who lived there. He was in charge of collecting taxes, was very rich. Jesus was heading his way. Zacchaeus wanted to see what he was like. But Zacchaeus was a short man and could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. When Jesus got there, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I want to stay with you today. Zacchaeus hurried down and gladly welcomed Jesus. What did you learn about Zacchaeus? Short guy. Short guy. Short guy, wealthy, but a little shady. Doesn't come from a good background. Right? And yet both of those, both of those are chosen by God. It's not about what's on their exterior. It's what's on their 
interior. It becomes most obvious when the prophet Samuel is sent to anoint a new king, King David. And Samuel is given instructions to go and look at this father's sons, all these sons, right? And of course, the first one is tall and handsome and the next one. And here's what God tells Samuel. But the Lord told Samuel, Samuel, don't think Eliab is the one just because he's tall and handsome. He isn't the one I've chosen. People judge others by what they look like, but I judge people by what? By what is in their... You see what God does? You can wear all the baby toupees you want, and God's not going to take note. He looks at what's on the inside. There was an American who went to Paris and uh, one of those you know, business trip things. And he was over there for a couple weeks and away from his family, away from his wife. And he thought, you know, I should pick something up. And, uh, you know, didn't, didn't want to get all involved in spending a lot of money and all that. So he went to one of those uh, streets where they had kind of the flea market thing going on. And uh, he went down and he saw this necklace sitting on a table. It was pretty inexpensive and he thought it looked really pretty and it'd be kind of a neat thing to bring back for his wife. So, you know, he paid whatever and, and bought the necklace and threw it in a suitcase and, you know, got on the plane, headed back, uh, flew into New York and had to declare, you know, of course, anything that he bought. And so he declared the necklace and lo and behold, he was kind of shocked when they made him pay duty on the necklace. I mean, he knew what he paid for it. It was just, you know, just a pittance. And yet they made him pay this exorbitant amount of duty. And he thought, what is going on? Why do I have to pay so much in duty for this, you know, little necklace? So to prove that he paid too much, he decided he would get the necklace appraised and then he could go make his argument that, you know, he was, he was overcharged on the duty and all that. So he had the necklace appraised, took it to a jeweler, and the jeweler got his little glass out, you know, and did all the stuff jewelers do and looking it over and everything. And, and the jeweler said, well, sir, this is a marvelous necklace. Um, in fact, I'll give you $25,000 for it. Whoa, $25,000. you got to be kidding me. I just bought this at a little flea market. You're going to give me $25,000? $25, could not believe it. So he thought, well, no, wait a minute. I bought it for my wife, but I need a second opinion. So he took the necklace, went to another jeweler. Jeweler took it, looked it all over with his little glass, you know, evaluated it, appraised it. And he said, well, sir, this is a marvelous necklace. I'll give you $35,000 for it. Finally, the guy said, look, I don't understand. I bought this thing at a flea market. It doesn't look to me like the gems in this necklace are even that real or, or that big or, you know, or that valuable. How can this thing be worth $35,000? The jeweler said, maybe you want to borrow my, my magnifying glass and look closely at the necklace. The guy borrowed the glass. He started looking over the necklace. As he looked over the necklace, he noticed an inscription in the necklace. The inscription said, from Napoleon Bonaparte to Josephine. Now, what made it value? The little thing that was written there. You see, what makes you valuable is that God writes on your heart. He writes on your heart. See? It's not what you are on the outside. It's always what you are on the inside. It's what He writes and inscribes on your heart. 
that guides your confidence for every day. What's important for us? What's important for us is not what's on the outside. What's important for us is what's on the inside and that we keep our hearts in the right place. That we keep our hearts in the right place. We talked about about, uh, Saul being a king. God chose him and put him in that position. And yet by the time we get to the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, we find out news that is heartbreaking news. God comes to Samuel and he says to Samuel, Samuel, I have rejected Saul. I refuse to let him be king any longer. Stop feeling sad about him. Put some olive oil in a small container and go visit a man named Jesse who lives in Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. What happened? What happened with Saul? He was God's chosen. He was made for the position of king. God gave him this great responsibility and this great opportunity to to be king of a nation. And yet now by the 16th chapter, we have God saying, no, I have rejected Saul. Why? Because Saul turned his heart away from God. He was still tall. Assumably, he was still pretty good looking. He was certainly powerful. But he had turned his heart away away from God. He'd continue to say, no, this is what I want. No, this is what I think. No, this is what I want. No, this is what I think. Saul continued to walk a path that took him further and further and further away from God because he turned his heart away from God and he turned his heart instead on what he wanted. And he walked so far away from God that now their relationship was broken. Their relationship was distant and broken to the point that God would say, time for a new king with a new heart. And that king was David. Did David do everything perfect after he became king? Absolutely not. He messed up. David made horrible mistakes. And yet the one difference between Saul and David is David never lost his heart for God. You can go to Psalm 51 where David is speaking just uh, out of his heart and he's repenting for all the wrongs that he has done, how he he has not fulfilled the responsibility of what God created him for as king of Israel. And he pours out his heart in repentance. If you go on further in in Psalm 51 to verse 16, David says this, Offerings and sacrifices are not what you want. The way to please you is to feel sorry deep in our... Where? You see where it is? To feel sorry deep in our hearts. This is the kind of sacrifice you won't refuse. You see, God understands your value not on your outside. He understands your value on your inside when you have a heart that is constantly soft to Him. We can see it in Zacchaeus. Jesus comes and He has a meal with Zacchaeus. He spends some time with Him. And before the whole experience is over in Luke 19, it says, Later that day, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, I will give half of my property to the poor, and I will now pay back four times as much to everyone I have cheated. What happens to Zacchaeus? You can see his heart right there, can't you? You can see that Jesus got into his life and got into his heart. And now his life is dramatically changed 
because his heart is in the right place. And Zacchaeus, even though he was a short man, Zacchaeus, even though he came from a shady kind of background, Zacchaeus becomes a guy who changes the lives of people around him because his heart is in the right place. God has shaped us, formed and fashioned us and created great opportunities for our lives. It is enough to know that our heart is in the right place. When you go face tomorrow and you start getting that self-doubt going on in your life, when you start getting that self-questioning that goes on in our days, you need to step back and remind yourself, wait a minute, I'm an amazing creation of God and God created me to do great things for Him. And besides that, not only does God love me, but my heart belongs to Him and He will never fail me. What gives us our self-esteem and our self-confidence is to understand the God who rests behind us, the God who chooses to come and make His home in our hearts. We can see it uh, from David. We can see that not only was David's heart always with God, but because David's heart was with God, God was always working in David's life. It says, Jesse sent for David. He went... He was a healthy, good-looking boy with a sparkle in his eyes. As soon as David came, the Lord told Samuel, He's the one! Get up and pour the oil, the olive oil on his head. Samuel poured the oil on David's head while his brothers watched. Now look. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord took control of David and stayed with him from then on. That's self-esteem. That's self-esteem. To know that not only we are an incredible creation of God, but when our heart is soft to God, that God is the one who is there working in our days. That the Spirit of God is loose in our lives. You don't get that from the outside. You get that when God plants that Spirit on the inside. It doesn't come from a toupee. It comes from God's working in our hearts. What does it mean for us? It means as you go face tomorrow and you start wondering if you're up to the task and you start doing some self-doubt and maybe even you get discouraged about the direction your life is going, it is to step back and remember your heritage. Remember your heritage. It's like when God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah came up with those excuses, you remember? One of them was, God, I'm too young. God responds to Jeremiah saying what? Jeremiah! Don't say you're too young. See, when that temptation comes to get into the whole self-doubt kind of stuff, you need to remember that. You need to remember God's voice speaking in your heart and your mind saying, wait a minute, don't talk like that. Don't let your mind go there. Don't let your heart wander away from God in that direction. You need to step back and say, wait a minute, God didn't create me for that. Wait a minute, God's Spirit is in my life. It's not about that. You need to get the negative talk out of your life and get the positive God talk into your life. You need to hear God say, don't talk like that. Don't think like that. I recreated you in Christ. You see, that's the ultimate thing that we need to remember when we start looking at our own worth. It is to remember how valuable we are. There was a uh, Catholic priest. His name is Father Jim. He ran an orphanage. 
guy had incredible talent. Uh, he could always just kind of connect with the, with these kids that would come to the orphanage. Young boys would come to the orphanage, and uh, he could always kind of sense, you know, where, what was going on in their life that made him kind of get into the whole self-doubt and the low self-esteem thing. And so a boy would come, and his hair would be all disheveled, you know, and he'd be embarrassed by his hair. He'd have a big colic, you know. And Father Jim would go talk to him, and he'd talk to the other boys. And before you know it, everybody thought it was cool having, you know, disheveled hair. Or, uh, you know, one of the boys had big feet. And so, you know, Father Jim could talk about all the basketball players that had big feet. You know, wow, how great it is to have big feet. And, man, with those kind of feet, you're going to just walk incredible walks and do great things. And Father Jim was out grocery shopping one time, and uh, social services brought another boy to the orphanage. The boy had a huge birthmark on his cheek. He was always conscious of it. He always kind of cowered because of it. Never felt like he fit in. Saw himself, obviously, as, as, uh, as being, uh, you know, ugly to look at. Father Jim came back from his grocery shopping. The other boys were there, and they said, Father Jim, we have a new boy. He was sitting over in the corner, kind of cowering with his face low, trying to hide his birthmark that he thought was ugly. Story is that Father Jim went over to the boy, and he welcomed him by simply reaching down picking the boy up, looking him square in the face, and kissing him right on that birthmark. You see, that's what God does. God looks at each one of us, and He knows. And in Jesus Christ, He walks into our life, and He lifts us up, and He looks at those weakest places in our life, those self-doubt moments in our life, and He just reaches into those and he kisses us in that moment and says, You are worth dying for. You are worth dying for. Never doubt how valuable you are in the incredible things you can do. Paul says it in Corinthians. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Spirit who lives in you and was given to you? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Or First Peter. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and the ransom He paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Never Doubt your worth. Never doubt your worth. Remember, Christ came and laid His life down. The most valuable person to ever walk the earth, the most valuable experience of the heavenly kingdom, God Himself came to say to you, you are incredible and worth dying for. We don't need to listen to the world and we don't need to let the world tell us that our value is in our outside. We know our value is because God created us to do great things. We know our value is because God has written it upon our hearts. And as long as our heart stays focused on Him, we know we're of great value because Jesus Christ was willing to lay down His life for each one of us. And that's why Paul or why uh, Peter can remind us and remember this whenever you get self-doubt. Peter can say to us, but you are God's chosen and special people. You are a group of royal peace and a, priests and a holy nation. 
God has brought you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now you must tell all the wonderful things that He has done. See, God knows who you are. It is for you to believe not the world, but to believe who God declares you to be today. While the band comes up, let's pray. Father, we come to you and we ask that you would just uh, speak to us today as you spoke to Jeremiah. You spoke sternly and yet you spoke as a loving parent. You wanted him to know that uh, he was chosen by you and shaped by you. He was created to do great things for your kingdom. We ask today that you would look upon each one of us and speak those same words to our ears and to our hearts. Speak to us so that we can cast away all of the doubts and instead we can see how valuable we are. That we can see that it is on our hearts that you have written the truth. That we can see and we can know beyond any doubt that Jesus Christ laid down His life so that we could live and make a difference in this world. Father, it's not what we put on the outside. It's not the clothes we wear. It's not the jewelry we adorn ourselves with. Father, it's not the the toupees that we would put on our heads. It is always You. It is always You that makes us incredibly valuable and our lives worth living. Father, we pray today, help us to discover the exciting thing that You dream for our lives. Help us to discover everything that we are and we can become because of You. We pray it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.